Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we're going to be talking about what it means to refactor field service. This is a term that was brought up uh, on a live stream I was on um, a couple weeks ago uh, with Field Service News by Kevin Starr, who is the Program Manager for Advanced Services, Oil, Gas, and Chemical at ABB. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us uh, for the podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I love the conversation we had a few weeks ago and, and asked you to, to join us here and, and kind of touch on some of the points you made and expand on this idea of refactoring field service. So before we dig into the conversation, um, tell our listeners a bit about ABB, your role and your history in, in the service space. Sure. Yeah, ABB is a global company. It's been around for probably 150 years. Um, I've been there for 33 years. I tell people I was five years old when I, when they hired me, <laughs> I feel <laughs> exactly. like we're, we're just getting started. Um, it's been an amazing uh, career. It's taken me around the world and literally every industry that we service. And I'm in the, uh, currently in the process industry sector for the North American market. Um, every few, two to three years, I get to sort of rotate through. And so, yes, I was with oil, gas, uh, chemical, power, metals, minerals, mining, pulp and paper, food and beverage, data centers. So I've had a little bit of experience in a lot of different places. And I've had a chance to grow in the digital space through most of my career. And now I'm in a spot where I get to drive and help drive that change uh, in our delivery of service to help our customers with production quality or cost to produce needs. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, that tenure in this space gives you a lot of perspective, right? I mean, I um, I started covering this space probably 13 or 14 years ago. And just in that time frame, the immense amount of change that's taken place in so many different ways, you know, when it comes to digital, but when it also comes to you know what's being demanded of service organizations and and how service is being delivered and and what even what the value proposition is and you know all sorts of different things and it's you know once you have some time in in this space to kind of get that perspective of how it's shifting uh, it, it's really interesting and and really cool and and I could tell that you know you have a, a lot of great observations. Um, so fact, one of been, I guess it's been remarkable just to, to piggyback on that is you, you triggered some thoughts is from when we started, you know, my my background and a lot, some of the folks that might listen to this might have seen me on uh, the YouTube control tuning uh, series that we did. And you know, I wrote that book 25 years ago uh, to deal with single loop controllers where there might have been 10 of them. Now there may be a thousand of them. And so to use today's methods yesterday's methods on today's systems, you just can't finish. So we've been able to migrate the methodology, which really plays into the, the subject here is refactoring, is how do we do that? And, and so maybe I'll, I'll let you ask some of the questions, but that's where my background was, has seen this evolution and transfer. And we truly are in the industrial revolution 4.0. Right. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Absolutely. So so let's dig into that then. Um, like I said, on the live stream a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were having a um, panel discussion about COVID-19 and, and how it's impacting different service organizations, how those service organizations are weathering the storm, and, you know, maybe more importantly, what 
the recovery and, and aftermath of all of this will look like. And you, you brought up this concept of refactoring field service. So tell us what, what refactoring is and, and how you apply that concept to field service, what you meant by that. Well, it's very possible this could be a Kevinism. Uh, so that's, that's me uh, inventing terms. But refactoring is actually a term used for so- in software development. And I was uh, our, our development manager for our software division for service for several years. And, and that was where we would, you would find that what worked with maybe 10 users would fall apart when you had 1,000 users. And then if you made that work, it would then kind of crater again when you jumped up to 20,000 users. And so the term refactoring came in is there's a there's a point where you have to stop. And and one of the stop with the development and then rethink how that development's being done. You know, I lived through DOS to Windows 3.1 to 8-bit to 16-bit to 32-bit to 60, you know. And so each time, you know, we would get to a point where the software either would break or was no longer compatible with the latest solution. So we'd have to stop and say, okay, what parts of the software do we like? How do we refactor the, the, the core to continue with what we have, but open up the door for expansion? And so that, that was sort of ingrained in my head as a software manager. Now that I'm moved into a more of a business mindset and a business manager or driver is you start realizing that, you know, the size of the fishbowl can dictate the size of the fish. In other words, your internal practices, your internal processes, the way that your business is structured for sales, marketing, procurement um, may work really well for a particular subset or a particular industrial base. But then as you expand beyond that, it starts getting difficult or the communication channels break down. So you have to stop and say, well, what can we do? You know, what, what's the value proposition here? Let's not lose that. Now let's look at the internals, refactor the way that we do business so that we can remit, you know, fix that issue, but then open the door for expansion. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it applies really well from what I'm being, especially in the light of this COVID-19 virus and the industrial, we're like in the perfect storm and things that used to work that we took for granted just stopped working like mm-hmm. overnight. And so people have to think differently. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I said, your experience in this space, you've been able to sort of observe this shift over a period of time. Right. And it is, it is sort of a, an evolution, you know, like I mentioned, there's so much that's changed and all of that change has sort of culminated in a tipping point for service organizations of, you know, not really being able to continue being successful if you don't embrace the need to evolve. Right. And, and the COVID-19 situation I think has just really driven that point home for any of the companies that weren't already recognizing and embracing that fact. Do you know what I mean? So absolutely. I mean, one of the things that maybe help is a lot of the things in our personal life uh, leads the industrial sector by about 10 years. So if you imagine when, you know, we went from, I don't know, maybe, you know, I'll show my age, but I used, we used to have rotary phones with a a cord on hooked to it. And now Mm -hmm. we have these cell phones that you can do everything um, on a cell phone. 
uh, I can still remember having my uh, my Tom Tom with me and my my daytime. You know, I had three different electronic devices, and I was like crazy high end stuff. Yeah. yeah. And now we have it all on a, is an app, and so then you go to the industrial sector and. You start looking at, well, even remember online banking. Well, I'm not going to do that. Well, now who doesn't do online banking? And so now you get to the same 10 years later in the industrial space, customers or clients are like, oh, you know, we have to think different. You know, we can't always have a guy or a gal come to site to do service because, you know, uh, right now they, they can't. They're in quarantine. So my system's down. What do I do? And so we're, we have the technology. It's really an inertia issue that we're overcoming, which mm-hmm. is change, resistance to change. Absolutely. Yep. And so, so that presents itself in, in a number of different areas. Um, when we, when we think about this idea of refactoring field service. So let, let's explore a few of those. Um, so the first is the idea of physical to digital transformation. Um, so, so let's talk about some of the ways that that area presents itself and, and some of the observations you have in, in terms of how ABB and, and how other organizations need to transform and adapt. Oh, that's a good one. Physical to digital transformation is what I, there's so many aspects of that, but when, in the maintenance management space, when, you know, field service, service is, there's maintenance management. So there's things like preventive maintenance, corrective maintenance, um, predictive maintenance, prescriptive maintenance. But when we talk about physical rounds or PM schedules, people usually like, oh, you do a preventive maintenance round. A round is a, a time sequence, whether you do it on a week, month, quarter, annual, where you physically would go out and touch the assets and, and look at them. You know, I can remember years ago looking at the uh, wear spots on drives in a paper mill where that was the place where the person would physically touch the drive to feel it. You know, the temperature, they would put a, a, a vibration sensor on it. They would listen. They would, and, and they literally over the years of touching the same spot, they would wear the paint off. Yeah, so that was a, an, an extreme ex- a case. But today, does it make sense to have a person walk around a facility and touch everything? And, and maybe, you know, years ago, there may have been 10 drives running that machine. And so maybe you could have touched everything and, and been able to report on it in a way that was okay. Today, there might be a thousand of those drives. And so now you have one person trying to run around, touch a thousand drives. So what we're seeing is a, uh, and we talk about a pandemic, but uh, an issue with people touching physical devices, but this install base has grown so large, they can't get around everything before something fails. So they'll go and enter, they'll, they'll record everything on a piece of paper. They go back to their office, transpose it from paper to a spreadsheet, and then upload it into a CMMS system. And then they, everything shows green, everything's good. And then the operator calls and says, system's down. And I've seen guys just like, I can't, I can't go any faster. You know, I just can't touch everything. And that's where this idea of digital transformation or a digital round is one of the things we've been calling it is, well, how could we use the technology of today to harvest the information that is pulsating through this equipment? That is one of the huge differences now to even you know, 10 years ago is the smart aspects of sensors, the smart transistors, transformers, trans, you know, ponders that we can sit on things and broadcast information. 
And so when I say physical, it's sort of like you can fish with a, a hook or you can use a net and cat, you know, throw it over and cover the entire space and have the information come to you so that you can consolidate it and then know, oh, this one is trending bad. This one has got, this one's okay. And then you, you set up the ability to do predictive um, rounds or maintenance based upon analytics. And that opens up a whole world of machine learning, you know, performance measures, triggers. And then, but that also has an issue with um, false positives. When something says it's sick, but it's not, or says it's well, but it's sick. That's why when I, when I talk about the digital transformation, that doesn't mean the physical goes away. You still need you. And every time you add a layer of service, you need to add another layer to make sure that previous layer works. And I think that's been a lesson that we've learned over the last you know five to ten years. Is is people thought, well, we can just digitize everything and do away with people. That certainly was never the intent. And unfortunately, that was a lot of people heard. And and we're seeing that's just not the case. Is you need to have a, a married, you know, they need to be together. There, you can't have a person go touch everything. But when this software does predict an issue, somebody has to go out there and investigate it. And so, when you put those together, then you have refactored your service model so that you can grow to the next level. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. It's not either or, but it's it's a a different combination of how those things work, you know, together. So. There's a, and I think, you know, the reality is, like we talked about earlier, this resistance to change. Um, you know, I think the demands of service organizations of, you know, the, the sophistication of service that customers are demanding is virtually impossible to deliver today in just a physical sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to start relying on, these tools to enable you to become as sophisticated as you need to be to succeed. Um, we did an article uh, maybe two months or so ago on um, future of field service with Cubic Transportation, and they are an example of um, they provide the the equipment for uh, transport. Um, organization. So an example is like the London tube. Okay. So they provide all of the equipment that where you, you buy your ticket for the ride, where you scan your ticket to get into the, the, you know, subway system or, or what have you. Um, they provide all of that equipment and they've shifted to an outcomes based model where rather than, you know, breaking those pieces of equipment or fixing those pieces of equipment when they break, they're guaranteeing uptime. And, you know, the, the gentleman there made a really good point, which is, you know, we couldn't move to outcomes-based service. There is not enough manpower for us to deliver these outcomes with, with just increasing labor, you know, to do it in the physical sense. We had to rely on technology to be able to evolve our, our business in this way. And I think that's kind of, you know, the summary here is, is you have to really look at, at the right, um, you know, uh, correlation of how those things need to work together, but you have to start to, you know, incorporate the, the digital side more and, and figure out how to continue to, to ramp that up. I call that the sphere of influence of a, of a person. How do you increase the sphere of influence of your staff? Uh, and it's not by making them work harder. I mean, 
there's a limit, you know, it's to expand their reach. And how do you expand their reach? You know, that's through the digital technology and means that are out there. Yes, absolutely. So, so you mentioned, uh, you know, when, when you had your, your Garmin and, and your different devices that were, were super cutting edge at the time and, you know, made you this, uh, this really well-connected mobile, mobile worker. Um, and obviously the concept of, of what a truly connected field engineer is, has, has changed and is changing. Um, so what's your perception on the concept of the connected field engineer related to how companies need to refactor field service? Um, that's a great great question is I, I often go back to the platform of service that we are providing our people to stand on. And I, I, I have the vision of the Iron Man suit. You know, the Iron Man suit is great as long as there's somebody in it that knows how to work it, you know, and, and, you know, as great as Tony Stark was, he, you know, he was almost mortal without his suit. And, and, you know, that's what I'm getting at is we're seeing, we have several hundred people, probably thousands of people around the globe doing service. So what's the platform that we can provide for them to stand on so that they're literally plugged in to their plan? How can they know, you know, how can we provide the right person at the right time with the right service, no matter what the issue is? In the old days, when before the Industrial Revolution, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there just wasn't that much automation. Today, you have IT and OT and SAP and business language, and you have network communications, and you have hard drives and disk space. Oh, yeah, you have that automation stuff, but now you have field service and smart sensors and field bus and protocols, and there's the DCS and the OCS and the QCS, and oh, yeah, you got to tune a loop, and then there's cast, you, know, so you have all this stuff. Um, and then there's alarm management and cybersecurity is, is the space that we used to be able to ha- get experts in has grown. So what expert are you going to pick? And that's one of the things we've run into with our clients is they don't know who to hire either. And if they hire a cyber person, then they don't have a loop person. Or if they hire an automation person, they don't have an infrastructure person. And so they're, we're, we're dealing with this issue all over. And we actually see turnover. We see burnout. We we're, we see people getting kind of hurt. Is their the pager or their phone goes off, and they're like, "I have no idea what that transformer is. I'm an expert in this." So we have a lot of point solutions, but our clients need solutions that cover their install base. So how do you do it? You know, how do you train somebody? The idea was, well, we'll just train someone to be an expert on everything. You know, ABD makes I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of products. Uh, to be an expert on all of them, it's just not, 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 it just doesn't make sense. But we have experts all over the world. So how do we harness that expertise into our clients and then couple that with our customers' expertise on their production manufacturing process? That requires a, uh, a connected engineer, somebody that works in a platform that can recognize the or document normal and say for this device, this is what normal operation looks like, for, no matter what the device is, whether it's an asset with something you can touch, pick up a function like loop, alarm, safety, or a process. And processes are very, very different depending on the industry. How do you provide a platform that can measure the, the profile of performance and be able to recognize deviations from that and then be able to do some level of troubleshooting themselves, but then know when to call in the guys or gals that actually develop that. 
when you do that, your your person becomes the superhero <laughs> at sight, um, and they're truly connected because there's nothing that can go wrong in a facility that they don't have access to a solution for. That's a tremendous empowering. It's incredible to see. And this is the transforming nature of, I mean, I'm just going through that right now as a customer called, they're used to saying, send me an expert. Well, you know, I used to be one of those. I was what they called one of ABB's firemen. When a site was in trouble, they'd say, call Kevin, and I'd fly all over the place. Um, and But it, when the install base wasn't so big, I was lucky. But now there's so many things. And so we need somebody that can go in but then be connected through remote insights or I see what you see or, or whatever digital algorithms that can conceptualize the information so I know that I have a field bus guy, not a valve problem, or a control guy, not an IT problem, or I can align the specialists with the issues. Mm -hmm. The company that does that the quickest and the most efficient is the one that's going to win in this industrial revolution, COVID-19 pandemic. Yep, absolutely. So ABB is a 150-year-old company, um, and, and I liked one of the things you said is we can't let our history be a liability, right? And, and so we, we talked earlier about the fact that there is this issue of resistance to change. Um, I think it presents itself differently within each individual organization, and I think to varying degrees, right? But it, it is certainly a common theme in different ways among uh, a lot of service organizations. So what's your take on, you know, how do you work to be creative, to, to transform the culture, and to, as an organization, embrace these new ways of working? That's a great question. That's a, a loaded question. Is yes, ABB has uh, been around for a long time, and they're a, a, a consolidation of a lot of companies that have come together. So we've learned to be adaptive. We've learned to listen and watch what made some of the companies we've acquired great. You know, I actually was part of a company called Accuray um, that was sort of thrown in on a deal with Combustion Engineering when ABB bought it. And they're like, hey, we've got – so the, so we, we actually were able to influence, you know, the ABB through this little company that they bought because they were interested. Um, there's, a, there's a culture within ABB of exploration and innovation and listening. Um, and that's what I've kind of learned to say is the fear of moving, when it becomes less than the risk of staying, things happen. And, and we've learned to look at and listen to our customers. And, and that's a – maybe that sounds – cliche or trivial, but our customers are our valued. We, we have a valued relationship with them. If they don't make money, we don't make money. Mm-hmm. And so we work with them and learn their pain points through production, their quality, cost to produce, personnel, whatever it is. And then we can align solutions to best fit that. And then we work in very collaborative environments. And, and so I think that's what's made ABB special is, again, we're a big company and, and it, the, the intent is to do the right thing mm-hmm. always it is we have integrity, we have standards, we have codes of conduct that we're all review and sign up and, and, and are constantly looking at ways to be the trusted advisor, to be the honest provider and to do the right thing. And when that's your motto or your culture, it's you tend to survive. And ABB has been around for a long time. And we have a heritage in automation. You know, we've, we've invented a lot of it. 
And so there's a lot of pride in those three letters that we put on our chest, ABB. And so, but you, you have to look at refactoring, even with this case, with the digital transformation, especially in service where, for example, we just had a business that was based on a truck full of parts that would go to different facilities and they would, we called it a milk route. It's not a milk route, but you had a, a stage process that you would go around. The guys knew each other. There was a lot of camaraderie. There was customers were happy with that environment. It was profitable for us. We are a business. It was profitable for our customers. Um, and that worked great until this COVID-19 happened. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the customer's like, we would like to have your guy in, but he's on across state lines. He has to go into quarantine for 14 days. Our system's down. You know, what, what can you do? And, and that was where we don't just roll up our sleeves and say, well, tough, you know, you're down for 14 days, you get yourself up and we'll come in. No, we're like, okay, let's try some stuff. And so we'll set up with the customer and we'll work through remote capabilities. We'll talk to the customer. We'll coach them through uh, coaching services. We, you know, have them be our hands and feet, consolidate the information, pass it back. And then we have to leverage that with different skill sets or maturity levels, if you will. I hate to say maturity, but, but different digital readinesses of our clients. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, you know, again, we've been around for a long time. So there's legacy systems that go way, way back mm -hmm. that don't have the digital stuff. So then we've invented digital sockets to be able to extract information. So those are how we have managed is fortunately we're part of a company that has a culture of change. You know, even if you look at my LinkedIn and see every two, three years, it's changing, <laughs> but it's still service oriented. And I've been in different areas of the company and I've got to see a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answered you or not, but. Yeah, no, that it does. Um, and, and I think, you know, as you said at the beginning, it's a loaded question and there is no easy answer, right? But, but this is really kind of the root of the conversation, I think, when it comes to, you know, how to get to the next phase of leveraging um, digital and of transforming service is, is breaking down the areas in which change needs to happen and figuring out, you know, what are the roadblocks and, and how do we tackle them? Well, I guess, I guess ABB, I, I feel like through the, my experience with them for so long is we are very convinced that we have solutions or services that can help reduce problems and increase production for our clients in any space. And, and so we have a very strong sense of that and we will work through barriers to show that. And so that's where we, we, we make the products, but we also provide service. And that service has allowed us to branch beyond just our equipment to vendor agnostic and, and process um, agnostic solutions. So, so that's what I say. We, we have this passion for excellence to share with our clients and we will, we'll, we'll provide mechanisms to help that are low risk um, that, that just, yeah, basically we call it active selling, but it's, we use their data and our tools because we're so sure that they will uncover issues. And sometimes that's the best way. There's so much clamor. I mean, just this morning on my internet feed, I had all these, this is great. This is great. Come, you know, our customers are getting those too. And I'm like, you know what? We talk with our, we talk with our stuff, and say, so let's let it talk louder than any brochure or any data sheet. You know, you 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 bring your data into our technology, and it will tell you what you can go fix. And and when you have that kind of a consultative 
approach. It really helps uncover opportunities so that you can continue to thrive and allows you to develop new products and new services that you can continually help our customers increase their, their operation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I liked what you said about change being when the fear of moving becomes less than the risk of staying. And I think for, you know, so I, I don't want I, I don't want to do a disservice to some of the the organizations that are are really leading the charge when it comes to embracing digital and evolving because there are certainly some you know early adopters that have put themselves in in a really strong position and and there are people that are lagging and there's a lot of people in between right but but I think that what COVID-19 has done is, you know, anyone that's lagging, I think it's put them in that position where that fear of moving is now less than the risk of staying. So it's, it's forcing them, you know, into that position. How do you think that COVID-19 and, and the increased adoption of digital that, that we're seeing as a result is going to evolve and expand as, as companies begin the recovery process? That's, those are, I mean, that's another good question. And the crystal ball, I think a lot of people are trying to answer that. Um, I believe that the uh, industrial revolution started well before COVID-19. And as you said, it's been growing for the last 12 years. Some historians say 2015 or thereabouts was the kind of the tipping point where uh, us humans ability to assimilate all the information in the industrial space just we, we, it passed us. It doesn't mean that humans aren't smart. It's just we aren't capable to multi-think in different levels. So we have to add an, an element of digital to reduce the problem space, you know, the heads-up displays and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so this transition has been going on. And then this COVID-19 hit, which, you know, again, I want everyone to do their best to stay safe. You know, people are our assets and we have taken serious precautions um, to help with that. But for example, just the ability to work from, from home, I'm in my home office right now and I have meetings all day long from people all over the world where in the past I'd get on an airplane and fly someplace for a, a meeting. Well, you know, that's all being challenged right now is mm-hmm. I, I just had a customer call me yesterday from Mexico saying, I have my systems down. Can you send a guy? Of course we can't. And we're like, you know what? We have this new technology can we send that to you? And he, he literally, it's, you know, well, actually I saw it at the field service show a couple of years ago where the, you know, the wearables, you know, you can, or the iPad where you can point it at something and then broadcast the image back in a safe manner. You know, we're rolling that out and we're like, and they're like, Oh, you can do that. So, so they're like open to where they wouldn't have been open to that in the past. They're like, well, what can you do? And we're like, well, we have this technology. Let's try that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, and then just actually just this week, I was talking about a customer that had a system down and they asked for an expert, but we did a, a consulting engagement first and found out that there was one of five potential issues causing the problem, which would have been five different experts. And the customer's like, well, we can't have five people come in. <laughs> I was like, well, how about if we have one that is connected? And they're like, really? So it was explain that. So we said, we have somebody that's skilled in the platform of service that can run through the diagnostic steps. And when they run into a snag, they can pull in the person or persons that can help. And they're like, well, this is outstanding. Literally it's opening that line of discussion. And so I see that once people get a taste of having experts 
pull together from around the globe to solve their problem is that will become the standard. They're like, mm-hmm. well, why would you send a person? <laughs> you can, you know, and so that's what I see. And I'm excited about that because we're, we're well set up. That's what we've been working on for 20 years and it's here. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, and, and I think that's, um, it, it is exciting. You know, I, I think a, a lot of this is, is really exciting and, and interesting to, to witness and I'm sure to, to live out. Um, so in summary, you know, just reflecting back on the different points we've talked about and, and if there's anything we've missed, um, what advice or, or other comments do you have based on, you know, your experience in the space and, and the lessons you've learned for other leaders that are, are working on their own version of, of refactoring field service? This may sound a little corny again. Um, in my history, I have found um, two ways of working with service. One works, one doesn't. One is when you realize, when you try to force service into a one and zero mechanical kind of personless persona, that just doesn't work. It dries up. It doesn't, it doesn't last. It's really easy for engineers to slide into that mode of, well, we'll just put in a piece of software and let it tell us everything. And, and, and what I have realized over my, maybe I'm hard headed, but the persona of service, it comes down to how would you like to be treated? And if, if, if you like those automated telling machines where you push one and then push three and then push four, or you get an actual person, you know, most of us like when we have some physical communication and, and that's what I'm seeing is work to find out that persona of humanism in the service organization and treat that like you would like to be treated. And now that may mean expanding the circle of influence with digital means. That may mean refactoring the way you do your procurement. That may mean changing touch points with automated solutions. And it may mean realizing that change is the new normal. And But don't forget that your people are your greatest assets. And and without them, you, you don't have much. And so that's been my lesson learned is to realize that the right person at the right time with the right service generates the right value. There's four rights. I tell people those four rights don't make a wrong, but it's a little bit like a combination lock. You know, we're in the past, you know, if a customer had an issue, we call that demand and they call us, we have a phone number and they like, Hey, my whatever's broken. So we're like, okay, we'll dispatch a person that's an expert in whatever. And then that person comes in and fixes it. In today's world, the complexity of our automation system makes it very difficult for a customer to pinpoint the issue. So when they call us, they said, something's broke. And we're like, well, could you give us more information? Well, no, something's broke. And so then we're like, well, let's see. That sounds like this person. And we send them to site and the customer's like, well, that's a nice person, but they have no idea what my problem is. And so, or we send in the right person, but by the time they got there, they'd already been down for three days. So it was the wrong time. Or we had the right person at the right time, but he had the wrong solution. So pulling those three together with an eye on value. If your customers are not making money or they're losing money, then be empathized with that and provide creative solutions to help. So I guess that's my message at the end of here is, you know, treat the persona of service like you'd like to be treated. But Mm -hmm. 
don't forget to look at the business practices, the business process, even the way you do sales. Um, you know, integrating digital techniques through webinars, through digital means. Um, I guess one other thing, if is is if someone goes and looks at some of these YouTube videos, I was ABB's crash dummy in that technology, social media. Uh, the book I wrote on tuning, I wrote it 25 years ago. And, uh, and it was great. I'm a one book wonder. Um, and then it kind of dried up. And then my son was getting his degree in engineering. And he told me he was taking a class in control. And I said, well, what are you learning? And I'm like, that's what you're learning? And I said, how do you learn this? So he Googles and does a YouTube search. And I'm like, well, shoot. I said, I bet we could do that. So he allowed us to hire a videographer and we shot a bunch of series on videos. And They've now reissued the book four times. One of the videos has like 300,000, almost 300,000 views. And to me, it was a shot between the eyes on the power of digital. And we should not be afraid of it. We should use it as a tool, but a tool that has human elements. And when you do that, amazing things are right around the corner. Absolutely. That, that's a really good point, Kevin. Um, well, thank you so much for, for being here and for sharing your insight and, and your perspective. I, I really appreciate it. Well, it was my pleasure, and um, I'm hopeful that that was useful for folks. And uh, I thank you for your time and for the, the questions. Absolutely. You can learn more about digital transformation, service evolution, and how companies are navigating the COVID-19 complexity by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter at The Future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more about IFS service management solutions by visiting www.ifs.com. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>